thanks and appreciation for our mothers. Uh, none of us would be here without our mothers, right? For real. I got one amen on that. What's wrong with the rest of you? Uh, and we're also thankful for our mothers for all they do in our lives and have done in our lives, uh, helping us get to where we're at. Um, so we're going to recognize our mothers first, and we welcome everybody that's joined us from around the world. But before we recognize our mothers, we want to welcome a new uh, country that's joined us. I'm going to try to say this right, Vanuatu, Vanuatu, there they are. Hey. So after service, I'm going there to check out all the disciples that are... <laughs> yeah, 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 that's uh, off uh, British Isles, off the coast of Australia out there, and they've joined our uh, church group online, so we're thankful for you guys, if you're watching live or whatever you're doing, uh, and just invite us down for supper sometime. Uh, how many of you knew that place existed? Uh, somebody, I did, I'm sure, somebody, but that's a pretty neat place there. God's got people everywhere, amen? amen. So we welcome you. So. We want to uh, uh, encourage our mothers. I hope you're going to do something for your mother today to let her know you love her uh, and appreciate her, especially appreciate her. Sometimes people know we love them, but we don't always appreciate them the way we should. So I'm going to give you uh, 10 things you'll never hear your mother say. Your mother will never say these things. All right, <clears throat> number 10. Don't wash behind your ears. It's not necessary. <laughs> Number nine. If you do not pass your exam, we will go get some ice cream. <laughs> Number eight. Your room looks fine. No need to clean it. <laughs> Number seven. Don't brush your teeth too much. <laughs> Number six. You should learn how to play cards instead of the piano. <laughs> Oh, that one don't work. Number five, don't, pull the, don't put the toilet seat back down. Falling in the toilet is fun. Number four, if all your friends are doing it, it must be fine. Number three, your mom never says these things. Remember that. If you do not finish your homework, tell the teacher the dog ate it. I like these last two. Everybody's going to like the last one, I think. <clears throat> number two, going to number one. Eat your dessert first, then if you have room, you can eat your vegetables. <laughs> you'll never hear your mother say that. And number one, you'll never hear your mother say this. We do not need to stop for directions. Your father knows where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> And I can testify to that firsthand. <laughs> so uh, if you're, uh, all you mothers and caregivers, would you stand? If you're a mother or a caregiver, please stand. 
Now just stay on your feet because we're going to pray for you. But before we pray for you, I have to do this because this was a real deal in my church years ago. Uh, how many of you have 22 children? We had a lady who had 22 children in our church years ago. No kidding. Her daughter said it when they ate, it was like the Waltons with company. <laughs> Who's got, anybody got 15 children? 10. 9. Do you say nine? Two nines. All right, we just want to see who had that many children. We're going to pray extra special for you all because <laughs> you got your hands full. If you would, let's rest of us stand and let's pray for it. We have some uh, nice gifts for you at the end of service we want to bless you with, things that we think you can use and benefit from. So, Father, we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for the blessings they are in our lives. And we know that motherhood, just like fatherhood, has been under attack in our country. And we just pray, God, that the mothers that are godly, many of whom are in this room this morning, Lord, we pray that you'll give them the strength to stand for the truth, to continue to live the life of faith, and to do what's right, God, in the sight of you. May they be a blessing continually to their families, their husbands, and all that you've given them in their lives. And may they count themselves blessed. May they honor you in everything they do. We're thankful, Lord, that we have mothers that understand motherhood. And we just pray, God, that not only would you keep them and watch over them, but they would be blessed. They would be blessed abundantly in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. So I was going to read a story. You guys can come to the instrument. I'm not going to read. I'm just going to remind you about our mothers. Uh, Jochebed was Moses' mother. And she took, uh, this is your first sermon, by the way. She took, Moses put him in the river you know the story that was uh where babies were being destroyed she by faith saw that he was God's person that God had a plan for his life there's a lot more to that word beautiful than just looking in the mirror in the Hebrew and so she put him in the river Pharaoh's daughter found him took him in Miriam Moses sister went and approached her, and Miriam's mother got to nurse her own son and care for him and get paid for it by the government. Isn't that awesome? He, she got, how many of you would have liked to have been paid to change your children's diapers? She got put on the government payroll to, to take care of Moses. But here's what I want to say to you. There's so much pressure in the world for parents to do this and do that. The greatest thing that Moses' mother did for him was to have faith. And he became the leader of millions of people because his mother had faith. The greatest thing you can do for your children is not all these material things, but it's to live a life of faith because that's setting their future up. The Bible says that, Abraham, that the Levites paid their tithes while still in the loins of Abraham. That meant that Abraham, who paid tithes as soon as Melchizedek come out, right, and met him after he had regained Lot, that meant that Abraham was setting his whole family up for success by living by faith and doing what was right. And now look at the Jewish people. They're some of the blessed people financially in the whole world, always have been. 90% of the jewelry stores in New York are owned by Jewish people. Because Abraham was faithful. 
the greatest thing you can do for your family, Mom, is be faithful to God. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for Your grace and mercy. We love You. We honor You. And we're thankful that You've not left us to ourselves, but You've been there for us the whole trip. You said You'd never leave us nor forsake us. You'd be with us to the end. And for that, Lord, we give You praise. Let's give Him praise this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, there was a lady in the circle years ago. She was upset because she didn't have some big, fantastic thing, loud thing happen. And we took her to the Scripture. She said, you know, the prophet was waiting. The whirlwind came. All the big stuff came. And the Bible says the Lord wasn't in any of that. Just a still, small voice. He's talking to some of us this morning, isn't he? He wants to do all of his work by his Spirit. And the encouragement that was given to her by us was, hey, God don't have to do that to get your attention. All He has to do is speak to you. That's where God wants all of us. He wants all of us to where He don't have to send an earthquake. He can just speak to us with His voice and get our attention and direct us. Amen? Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise one more time. Children's Church is dismissed across the way, and we have a nursery that's open over there, so you're free to move that way. So I was in prayer several times this week and um, forgot it was Mother's Day. I didn't really forget it was Mother's Day. I knew. We talked about that this week and got things ready. And... But I just couldn't go there because the Holy Spirit was weighing on me so heavy. And so I told my wife, I said, I... I'm not going to preach about mothers tomorrow, and I feel awkward, but not really. The greatest thing I can do for you is to hand off to you what God's given me. So, I'm going to preach on sin this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going all the way back to the beginning because we got, we're in trouble in this country. Sin has taken over. And I want to say this, and this will lead into that probably in the next few Sundays. Any system that rejects God will collapse. Man, I don't know when, but it will. The education system will collapse in this country. I just, Steve just graduated this week from Liberty. He's like me. They said, you graduate cum laude. He said, no, nah, Lottie, how come? Uh, this Christian university who's forefront, in forefront graduated 32,000 students and Kentucky graduated 6,000. There's a shift coming, right? There's a shift coming because they're trying to teach children sex education in New Jersey and other countries that are like six, seven, eight years old. In other states, I'm sorry. It sounds like another country. Sin, if you took, if you rolled the clock back 80 years and brought those people back around and showed them what was going on today, they would be appalled. 
we are in a position where sin progressively gets worse and exponentially gets worse. We are arguing things that wouldn't even have been allowed to be brought up 60 years ago. Things that they're trying to teach children that have no awareness of. And we're living in a state, and all that's just byproducts of us allowing sin to continue to roll on. And it starts personally, right? I'm going to show you what happened here. In Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us, the plural form of God, Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all and over, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him male and female. That's the textbook we use. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. So he commanded us to reproduce. To fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So two words I want to show you here that are important for the rest of the Bible. First thing, it said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And the two Hebrew words that are used here are interesting. The word for image is tesalem, tesalem. And it means splendor, remarkable, or above. Now, just by what he gave us there, he said, I'm going to make man above everything. He's going to have more power, more authority, longevity, eternal life's offered to him, all of that. That makes us like God in his image. But the other word is likeness here. He says, into our likeness. And the word likeness is demuth in the Hebrew. And it means a representation that's comparable with. Now, in, in John chapter 14, verse 9, shoot that up there. This is what Jesus said. In John 14 and 9, Jesus said to them, Have, you been with, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He was such a direct representation of the Father that he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which leads us into when they call him good, uh, and he says there's none good but the, but the Father. He wasn't saying he wasn't good. That's been butchered and mishandled in so many circles. He, he was good. He was perfect. Jesus didn't do any wrong. He was perfect, sinless. Basically, the problems the Jews had with Jesus was not that he was a good teacher or that he was a rabbi or a prophet or whatever. They struggled with calling him the Son of God. They struggled with calling him God, part of the Godhead. And basically what Jesus was saying there, if you call me good, then you've got to recognize me as part of the Godhead. I'm God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He wasn't saying he wasn't good. That's so misinterpreted in some circles. He was, he was saying if you see me as good, then you've got to see me as part of the Godhead. So the, the likeness is there, right? We're all born in the image of God. If you're here this morning and you're living in sin and you're doing your own thing, you're still in God's image, right? You can still have dominion over things, some things in your life, whether it's a pet or whatever, right? 
but the likeness is where we lost it. Comparable. So that's what you're going to see here in just a minute. We, when sin came, when sin came, we kept our image, but we lost our likeness. That's what happened in the garden. And now we are, we are offered salvation through Jesus Christ so that Paul says that he can travail in birth till Christ is formed in those whom he's leading to Christ, that our image is still in God's image, but now our likeness can be returned back to the way God started it, through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we lost because of sin. We lost our likeness to God. Everything bad can be traced back to sin. Now, before anybody gets freaked out about that, that doesn't mean necessarily that every bad thing in your life is a result of your direct sin. But what I'm saying to you, there'd be no death, there'd be no evil, no none of that if sin. And that's what gave way. See, that's what opened the door for Satan to bring in all those things that are bad. Whether it's death, dying, sickness, poverty, all those things came in because of the sin. And so sin opened the door for evil to start taking its toll on us. Now, there's a deception that goes along with living in sin. A couple of them, actually. Probably more than two, but I want to mention two. One is, I'll be the guy that gets by. I'll be the person that can figure this out. Sin won't catch me. I, all right? And the other one is that somehow you're different. We think we're different than Adam and Eve, or anybody else that's been born. Let me say something to you. The devil's been working on people for 6,000 years, chewing them up and spitting them out and destroying their lives. You are not the Johnny-come-lately that he don't know how to fool with. The Bible says that the serpent was cursed to eat the dust of the earth, and he's been eating it ever since. He's been eating man ever since then. Satan has been destroying and devouring men. You and I are not the Johnny-come-lately. We don't have more intelligence that the devil's over there scratching his head. You still live in the flesh. We all, so Satan, you, you and I are no match for Satan on our own. And somebody said, well, why don't he kill everybody? He gets pleasure out of watching people be miserable and destroying everybody else's life. And the reason he don't kill everybody is because God's having mercy and not letting him kill everybody. If you've survived this long living apart from God, you ought to be on your face today thanking God that he didn't let the enemy take you out yet. Somebody the Lord praise. Now I'm going to read something to you from a book published in 1922 before I go into the rest of the scripture. You and I are in the image of God, all of us, male and female, he made us. But we lost his likeness because of sin. And that's what needs to be restored. This book was written in 1922. During the last 50 years, so that's 50 years back behind 1922, which would start basically in 1872. Think about this for a minute, and you'll see how far we've come. From a, uh, during the last 50 years, uh, socialistic philosophers have taught that all the ills to which man is heir are solely attributable to heredity and environment. And we have certainly furthered that. Creation teaches us, the Bible teaches us, God's Word teaches us that man started off in a perfect state with no problems. 
and he went downhill from there. The world says man started in an inadequate state and has gotten better over time. The world calls it an affair. God calls it adultery. Do you think when a baby's aborted in heaven, they say, well, they aborted another baby? No, they said they killed another one of our offspring. That's what God... God, we try to water everything down, don't we? In fact, we've made Mother Earth, and that's been a whole set of religion in itself. And so now we've progressed... You think about this, what this guy's saying. Fifty years before 1922, this stuff was already on the move. And it's progressively gotten worse. He says, this conception is an attempt to deny that man is a fallen creature. And at heart, he's desperately wicked, which is what the Bible teaches us in Jeremiah. We are told that if legislators, think about this now, we're talking about in 1922, we are told if legislators will only make possible a perfect environment, man will then be able to realize his ideas and heredity will be purified. Man can fix it. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Only the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God can fix it. But man has already been tested under the most favorable conditions, talking about Adam, and, is found, and was found wanting. It wasn't enough. And so in the garden, sin marched in and took away our likeness from God and also took away the fact that Adam and Eve were slated to live forever, stopped that, and then opened the door to every evil and vile thing that hurts and injures mankind. From poverty, to war, to death, to sickness, to disease, on and on and on. That all came in because the door was open to sin. Now, we don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve because we've seen enough out of our own life that had we been in the garden, we would have blown it too. So I don't have any stones to throw at them. But you have to recognize how we got here. If we don't recognize how we got here, we're going to try to keep fixing everything with money and psychiatry and drugs. I'm going to show you some things that are contrary to the way the world teaches here in just a moment. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's look what happened here. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the first thing the devil's going to do to try and get you moved off God's word is to question God's word. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So just like we see things in the rest of the Bible, God reserves a certain portion for him. And here he had this tree there. Now God gave all of us a will. And he gave us a will, uh, which is part of him, right? Part of his image, at, at, at the desire that we would trust him, knowing that many would not and sin. You could not, if you didn't have a free will, I don't care if you're sitting here this morning, you've been walking with the Lord 30 years, or if you're sitting here this morning, you're lost. You could not do either one of these without a will. You'd be a robot. You couldn't trust God, 
or you couldn't decide to sin. It's your choice. It's my choice. You're going to do one or the other. God gave us a free will, right, so that we would make the choice to trust Him, knowing what was at risk that many would refuse to trust Him and desire to do their own thing. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin manifests itself in a thousand different ways. But sin is when I say inside of me that I'm going to do my will or do it my way rather than God's. That's what sin Now, it may manifest itself in a thousand different ways. But it's basically when I say I'm going to do what I desire, I'm going to do what I want to do, even though God has told me to do something differently. That's what sin is. That's where the essence of out of the heart is where those issues come from. We make decisions, right? You're going to make a decision in your life to either do one or two of these. And by not choosing God, you may say, well, I'm a sinner and I do this, that, and other, but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, believe, I don't follow Satan. Oh, yes, you do. By not choosing God, you've chose sides. Who do you think wants everybody to die and go to hell? Satan. So by not choosing God, you've chose uh, Satan's side. And that's the deception that comes along with it, right? So then he says, he says this comes in and he challenges what God says. And then she responds to that. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that you, the day you eat, your, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now he's pitting Eve against God. You see that? Basically, let me put it in modern terms. He's saying, Eve, God's holding out on you. You're not getting what you deserve. How much do we hear that in our culture now? You deserve more. You should have. God's not, and here's another one we hear a lot, God's not letting you be all you can be. Well, the first thing that starts with is getting on his side. So he pits God and Eve against one another and starts turning her against God. Basically, he says, Eve, God's holding out on you because he knows when you eat that, you're going to be like him. Whose desire was that? Satan's. He said, the five I wills, I will ascend, I will be like the most high. That was his desire. Now, when you and I live in sin, guess what's happening? We're sleeping with Satan. He's impregnating us with his desires. Think about that, and I hope it makes us all sick. That's what happens with sin. The Satan impregnates us with his desire. That's what he did with Eve. He said, I, he said, God, you're going to be like God. That's what he wanted. That's what got him kicked out of the joint to start with. Jesus said, I watched him fall like lightning. I mean, you're talking about getting thrown out of somewhere. When you fall as quick as lightning, you're gone. And his desire, he's trying to live through us, right? He wants to do anything that's against God. And so he pits her and she, she bites, right? So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave the husband with her, and he ate. Now this is what's going on in our culture, in our school systems. Now I'm going to tell you something. If these education systems keep kicking God out, they're going to collapse. You can't run a place without God and expect for it to succeed. But that's what they're doing, the same thing, that Satan did with Eve. They're trying to make a six-year-old wise to sexuality. How disturbed is that? And I feel this, this emphatic about that. Anybody that's promoting that is a pervert. Yeah. 
six years, even their own studies show them that the children are 12 or older before they really even start getting an idea of sexuality. And they're wanting to do that to kindergartners. Put a burden on them. Oh, God, help us. There's going to be a mass exodus out of the public school system if they don't get their act together. And I, I went to a public school. But there's going to be a mass exodus out of there, and then they're going to start graduating 6,000 from UK and 32,000 from Liberty University. That's what's going to happen. And they're begging and crying for money all the time, and Liberty keeps taking over the whole city over there. They buy up the shopping malls and everything. I say let God be true and everybody else a liar. Amen. So he goes on. So when the woman saw the tree, she bought it. She, see, that's how sin works, right? Sin progressively works like with Lot. The Bible says in Genesis 12 that Lot looked toward Sodom, right? Then we read a few more verses. And then the Bible says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then the next few verses, we find out Lot's living in Sodom. That's how sin works, right? The old song I sing that, uh, to make that point, Lot, Lot, you picked the wrong spot. You went down to Sodom more and lost everything you got. <laughs> There's an old song that says that. <laughs> That's what happens. The devil's plan for you is to empty you of everything and destroy your life and laugh at you all the way to hell. That's his plan. But Jesus Christ came to spoil his plans, amen? And by him, we have our sins washed away, we have a new life, we have eternal life, and we have hope without a question mark. So then, they heard the sound of the Lord God after they'd eat it, right? They'd made fig trees, fig leaves. And I, nobody's allowed to steal my idea, but I'm going to come out with a line of underwear called Fig of the Loom. Uh, that's my idea. So if you steal it, you owe me. Fig of the loom, some underwear. And so they made fig leaves together, made themselves covered, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees. They hadn't done that before. Now, sin don't push God out of the way. He'll come looking for you. Woo! But sin will cause you to run and hide and resist and shy away. But it ain't God doing that. And that's when the devil comes in the second time and starts making you feel bad and starts saying, hey, God's forsook you. No, he's not. He's looking for you. He's calling your name saying, where you at? Get back where you belong. But it's the lies of the devil that start, right? Soon as we take that first bait, the lies of Satan start taking over. And so she, they're walking around hiding. God's in. And the Lord God called Adam, said, where are you? Now, Whenever God asks a question, he's not looking for an answer. He already knows the answer. When God asks a question of you and me, he asked me a question this week and brought me to my knees. But he's, he's asking a question so you can come clean. I was dealing with God about something, and the Lord asked me in my prayer time, would you like to trade places? Because he'd been doing a good job with it, but I was trying to take it out of his hands and do it myself. And the Lord said, would you like to trade places? I said, no, Lord, you've been doing good with that. I'll just leave it alone. He knew my response. He knew what I was going to say. It's like the time I said, uh, me and the Lord are disagreeing and one of us is wrong. 
me. And it's always going to be you. And then he says, the Lord God called them out. And they said, I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And the Lord said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So he's given Adam a chance really to just get clean. They're trying to, and all this. And he said, uh, then the man said, the woman. <laughs> well, that's a bad scripture for Mother's Day, ain't it? Where did that, you all will never forget this service, will you? He blamed the woman on Mother's Day. <laughs> you women better straighten up, that's all I can do. Uh, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave... <laughs> help me, Lord, to get through this. She gave me the tree and I ate. So he blamed... But th that's just the blame that all of us do, right? Yeah. It, it's not... It happened to be her, but if, if we get caught, it's like... Lainey cut her hair when she was little. Come downstairs, her mom confronted her on it. She blamed it on Josiah. <laughs> he got scarred for life. But that's our nature, right? It's in us. That's our, she was born, my daughter was born with a damnic nature, just like I was. We all born with it. So there's a way out, but we fell into it because of the first parents, and we lost our likeness, and now we're trying to regain that through the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. But we all have that Adamic nature, right? We all have it. So, like my friend says, when somebody has a new baby, go up to them and say, isn't that a pretty little sinner you have right there? Because we're all born into sin, right? Now, we're not accountable until the law comes. We understand right from wrong, but we're all born with that Adamic nature. I heard a preacher say one time, if we knew what free will was all about, we'd give it back to God. He said, we don't want it. And then he says, he goes, talks about the curses coming on all of them. Look at verse 19. He says, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Guess what? They got a death sentence. Now, God didn't leave us there. What if he'd have left us there? What if he said, I... I gave you all a chance, humans. I gave you humans a chance. You all blew it. Aren't you glad he didn't leave us there? It's good news of the gospel, right? The word gospel don't just mean good news. It means good news with a reward. Euaklia is the Greek word. It means good news with a reward, right? And so God brought his son and overcome death, hell, and the grave and sin and said, if you'll believe on him you can get out of this mess that you're in. But we got to recognize what happened. Nobody's born a Christian. And that, that changed. If I could go back, a lot of churches got into baptizing people to make them Christians without their hearts being converted. This was way back. This was way back. But what happened, they, they, men mess everything up. When babies were born many, many moons ago, a lot of times they would christen them or baptize them to say that they're identified with a Christian family. But those early churches that did that still preached that when they come of age, they have to make a decision to follow Christ. But all that gets distorted. Just like uh, praying to a man or whatever. It's not, it's not the religion, it's the relationship that God's after. So we're all individuals and we all have to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I don't care how many Bible schools you've been to, if you've not made a decision to turn your back 
on this world and follow Jesus Christ, you're not a believer. How many times you... I don't care if your dad was a preacher. That don't make anybody a believer. You have to make a personal choice to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's, that's the good news of the gospel. What if God just... And just look at your own life and cut it up in segments, if you would, for a moment. And look at the times in your life you should have been dead. And look at those times that came before you were a believer. Or maybe you're still not a believer. And to be thankful that God has allowed you to continue until you will make a choice or at least give you more opportunities to make that choice. Now let's go to the board. I want to show you a few things on the board here. Genesis 2 and 17. Go to that. Just what, You don't have to turn. It's one scripture. You can look at here. But, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They did it. And death came in and it comes from every direction, don't it? People die from all kinds of things. Because sin entered into the garden. They bit and look what happened. Death showed up. Let's look at Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. You got a problem. I've got the problem. We all had the problem. We're born into sin. When the knowledge of right and wrong comes, we got to make a decision. And the sooner, the better. Let me tell you what sin is like. Sin is like riding a dead horse. You're not going to get anywhere riding a dead horse, right? You know what the profound lesson is for that? Get off the horse. Really, when your eyes get open, it really does become real of how stupid we were when we were sinning. I mean, it really becomes clear because it, it just leads to death. That's all it does. And sin never satisfies. That's why we, people just have to keep going back, going back, going back, going back, going back. And, it never, and all the time the devil's just driving them down in the dirt. I wish I could stand before you and tell you that all my family loves Jesus Christ, my, my tree, my family tree, and they're on their way to heaven. This is not true. Many of them are caught up in the world. They do their own thing. And they have no regard for God. Look at James chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 here on this. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's the process that happened in Eve. Next verse. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's what happened to Eve. That's what happened to Lot. Now Lot got out, got renewed. But look at everything he lost. That's why I say, the sooner you get off that dead horse, the better off you are. Today is the day of salvation. Now, I'm going to show you a couple of things here I wrote earlier so I wouldn't have to spend the time to do it. This is the word sin in the Hebrew and the Greek. Chet is the Hebrew word. It means to miss the target. And God is the one who set up the target. Harmatia, hamartia, is the uh, Greek word for sin. It means to miss the mark. Now, what we lose a little bit if we don't get to the bottom of this word in the Greek is its etymological meaning. 
and it is comprehensive. It's a comprehensive term. Once you hear this, for moral obliquity. And I wrote that word up here because that's part of the meaning of harmatia. This English word means deviation from moral conduct or thought. So harmatia in its root, its etymological root, has this understanding. That therefore, as we, the Bible, you know, Jesus talks about sinning without actually doing the act, right? This is why this word says this. Sin can be a process. Now, when you, well, let, me, let me read something else to you. Uh, how do I want to do this? So, let's go, if you would, to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Now, I'll show you this. We're living in a culture to where sin is glorified and God is frowned on. And what's, you have to give it to Satan. He's done a good job of tricking people into just living for this life and taking no thought about the next one. He's deceived. Now, there's like four lists in the New Testament, one in Revelation, one in Corinthians, one here in Galatians, one in another place, that talks about practicing sin. And let me uh, just write this word up here for practice. The Greek word is prasso for practice. And pay attention to that as I read this. Let's look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, we're going to talk about that, not today, but he talks about living in the Spirit, then he talks about walking in the Spirit, right? So, we're going to, we won't get to that today, but he says, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We talked about, there's a whole bunch of teaching, about three months' worth of the difference between the soul and the Spirit and the body, all right? And this flesh, the body... There's a battle between the spirit and the flesh, and that battle primarily takes place in the soulish realm where we make our decisions. The mind, the will, and the spirit, the, the mind, will, and emotions seated in that soulish part of us. For the lust of the, the, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Then he goes into something here. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. <clears throat> Let me back up. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. All of those are sexual. And that's probably fitting. Because if you look at sexual immorality in this world, I believe it's doing more damage than drugs and alcohol combined. Because the standards have been dropped so low for sexual immorality... And however many people are just consumed with that from one angle or another. And so the first four of these on this list are sexual. He says that uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And adultery and fornication really about covers everything in some ways, but uncleanness and lewdness get to the debauched side of sexuality. 
So adultery and fornication are sexual things that happen outside of the marriage. And then uh, debauchery, the horrible things that Paul talks about we can't even talk about in public. Those are led with uh, uncleanness and lewdness. Then he gets into idolatry. And I used to think, before I studied Isaiah about 15 years ago thoroughly, I used to think sexual immorality was the last straw before God judged the nation. But then when I really saw what God was doing in Isaiah, preparing and then Jeremiah, and then finally Ezekiel, the judgment comes, the idolatry is the last straw before God destroys a nation. And the reason is, when people get in sexual immorality, we all have a conscience, right? So you have to degrade that conscience so far to get to where we've got in this world with sexual immorality. From a 40-year-old man lying with a 4-year-old girl. I mean, that's debauched. So what do you do? If you're that debauched, and if you're that consumed, you need to find new gods that are okay with it. That's why a lot of the false gods, if you'll do your study like I have, a lot of these false gods, the reason they were so well-liked is because they were permissive. They allowed their components to do sexual things that were immoral, to smoke dope. They smoked dope back then. To get involved in all kinds of illicit things. So if your conscience is driving you mad because you know what you're doing is wrong, then you need, if you're not going to repent, then you've got to go find a God that's okay with it. Idolatry also brings another hit to God. When God's given us everything and we bow down in front of some idol and, say, and start thanking that idol for our blessings, that's a slap in God's face. Everything you got, I don't care if you're a sinner or a Christian this morning, everything you got, you wouldn't have none of it if it wasn't for God. He's merciful. The Bible says He calls it to rain on the just and the unjust. What if God just gave Christians rain for their garden? I know some sinners that raise gardens. Have better corn than I did. So God's, he's awesome. He, he wants your love. He wants you to follow him. And look at this. He says, uh, then the next one is sorcery. That Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. It's about drugs. Primarily, the last five times you read the word sorcery in the New Testament, it's the Greek word pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. Do you think God knew what would be happening in the last days? He most certainly did. He's never caught off guard. He wasn't caught off guard when Adam and Eve fell. He'd already entered into covenant, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, with His Son, only begotten Son, that He would be the sacrifice for our sins. And then He says, hatred. You're not allowed to hate. You're not allowed. It's illegal to have hatred in the kingdom of God. It's illegal, unlegal, however you want to say it. Contentions. Jealousies? Why would you be jealous if the Lord's your husband? Why would we be jealous if Jesus is our husband? Outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions. There's the hook, right? Eros. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Heresies. Envying. Murderers. And Jesus said we can murder somebody with our tongue. Am I the only one that's read that? We can murder somebody with our tongue. 
And then, see, that's where the shift. Somebody said, when the New Testament got here, everything got easier. Oh, no, it didn't. More accountability comes. Jesus shifted a gear on us. Now, the way to please God, we got more strength and more power to enable us to walk better. But the, he didn't drop the ball. He didn't lower the bar. They stoned him in the uh, Old Testament for adultery. Jesus said, you can look upon a woman and commit adultery. That ain't lowering the bar. That's shifting it up. They said, hey, if you kill somebody, you'll lose your own life. In the New Testament, Jesus said, you can kill somebody with your words. That ain't lowering the bar. That's shifting it up. What happened in the New Testament, we had strength and the Holy Spirit in a way that they didn't have to empower us to live before God. But the standards didn't drop, and I'm sick of hearing that. God don't change His mind. I hear preachers say, well, if, God were, if Paul were here now, he wouldn't write it that way. You know what you need to do? You need to get out of the pulpit. If you're going to undermine God's Word, you need to go find another job. God don't change. The Bible says He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so then He goes on through this list, and He says, heresies, envies, murderers, drunkenness, Revelries, a good word for that in English would be partying and the like. Of which I tell you before, just as I've told you in time past, that those who practice, prasso, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's talk about that before I close. There's not a Christian that will live several more days that won't find themselves sinning. You let something go. The Bible talks about the sins of omission, the sins of commission, things we do we know we shouldn't, things we let go of that we know we should do. We should be doing them. So you'll find yourself thinking, man, I better repent for that. I, didn't, I, I went awry or astray there. But what does it mean to practice sin? There's where the, and John talks about this. Paul talks about it again a couple more times in the New Testament. The difference between somebody who sins and repents, just like David, that when the Lord came to him, he repented and turned. Somebody, I, when, I remember this line being used on me a few times when I went to some, uh, a Christian or someone, tried to challenge them to walk the way they should. Someone would say, oh, I'm just like Peter. No, you're not. Peter didn't walk away from God and do his own thing. He failed, but he got up and repented and kept moving. Same thing with David. That's the difference. If you look at somebody's position, somebody may sin, but they'll repent and get up and get over. The Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up all seven times, right? So what does it mean to practice sin? All right? Well, here's what that word means in the Greek. It means to do, to execute the process, to perform, to commit to, to and here's the, here's the kicker. To occupy yourself with, to be busy with. So that's kind of like a word we have in the English. Habit. Something you're busy with. Somebody who practices something is somebody who's busy with it. 
Now, I ask you a question. What if you got nervous and you lied on your income taxes? Should I open the altar up again? What if you got nervous and you lied on your income taxes and then after you got your refund check, conviction hit you and you repented? And you moved away from it and you didn't do it again. That's repentance, right? What if you tell a lie twice a year? Is that practicing lying? Only if you're telling me those lies, right? See what I'm getting at? We're all, fear will move us at times. It'll, it'll come in on us or a situation and we'll react instead of act on God's word. And next thing you know, we find ourselves, uh-oh, that wasn't God's will. I did wrong, right? That's what Eve did. The Hebrew word, when the serpent came in, as the, the new, old King James says, he beguiled me, right? That word means he caused me to forget. So when sin challenges us and comes in, just for that moment, we forget, right? We forget the consequences. We forget the conviction. We forget everything just for a moment. And we step into that thing. And then when we step into that thing, here comes that conviction. Whoa. That's how it works. But you're, you're going to be moved at times, and your flesh is going to get, get the jump on you and react to a situation instead of letting the spirit man have his way or woman. But if you lie every month, you're a liar. Right? I mean, what point do you say, hey, I'm given to that? If you, if you lie every two weeks, now I know because we're offended. We're, we're not, we, we don't like God. See, we, we, we want to be like God, but then when it messes with us a little bit, we like to be in the flesh. You're a liar if you lie to me one time. That's how the flesh works, right? How many people do you know, I ain't have nothing to do with them because they lie, lie to me. Buddy, you lie to yourself. You do. The heart is a wickedly above all things. Your own heart lies to you. It tells you you're smarter than what you really are. I mean, that's, that's how the flesh works. So let's, not, let's be willing to forgive when people do things that maybe have us involved in it. We've got to be willing to forgive. But let's take responsibility for our own lives that we're not practicing or occupied with something consistent. Now, the good news of the gospel is, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But if you're going to practice something, you've really not repented. And that's the problem. The problem is, we've turned all... Now, let me just be real with you for a minute. And this may make somebody mad, but I don't care. It's Mother's Day, you'll get over it. <laughs> Go home, love your mother. Most churches, and certainly most of the world would have taken drunkenness off that list. Uh-oh. Now you got a choice to make. You going to believe God's Word, or are you going to believe the latest article that come out of Harvard? Sin messes with your mind. They do have mental problems, but that's what sin does. It messes with the whole person. Now, why would God be unfair 
and prosecute somebody for being sick. What kind of God is that? Either that's sin or it's not. Now, who sets the rules? That guy with all the pieces of paper on his wall in Harvard or some dude in Washington, D.C. that don't even know where he's at half the time? Now, I didn't mean that. That come out wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize for that because I wasn't thinking of our president. I was just thinking of a man in general. But I know how people... I'm making it worse. I know I'm making it worse. So, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you all to forgive me because we're, we honor and I, I just forgive me. Can I pray? Did I tell you all we live in the flesh? Lord, would you forgive me for that? I, I, I didn't mean it to come out that way. I think we all have trouble, so just we pray, Lord, that I'm asking you to forgive me for that. And everybody said, Amen. So who are you going to take? You're going to take. Now, if you don't take God's word for what it says, and you go to people and agree with the world, you're helping further them the wrong direction. God's not unfair, He don't prosecute nobody for being sick. God has rules and regulations. He's a faithful judge, but he's going to hold every one of us accountable. Every one of us. So I just want you to think about this. If you're here this morning, you guys can come to the instruments and help get me out of trouble here. <laughs> out of abundance. We have a choice. We're going to trust God. We're going to do our own thing. Let's stand to our feet. You've got to understand, you and I are fallen creatures, just like anybody. But we've got to make a decision. What should you do if you're involved in sin? Stop it. Today's the day. Today's your day to come in agreement with God. God will hold us all accountable, every single one of us. And He made a way out. This dilemma we got in with Adam and Eve, He has made a way out of it. And look at our world. As sin continues to chip away at our world, everything keeps getting worse. But we're telling ourselves it's getting better. As a culture, we understand that this world is on a one-way track. On a one-way track and a destiny with God. And this whole world is going to have to stand before God. That includes you, me, our whole family. Sin is a thief and a killer. The Bible says Satan comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. we got to understand there's a way out of that. And don't keep practicing it. Move away from it and do whatever it takes to cause you to move away from it. One of my closest friends who was a severe alcoholic got saved. God delivered him. But he quit going to stores that sold alcohol. And I didn't get to Romans 6, but Romans 6 talks about that setting yourself up to succeed. 
he knew that if he kept putting himself in that environment, it would come back and after him. That's what we're talking about. Put yourself in a, success, a position to succeed. Father, we thank you for this moment we have as we come into your, this moment. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for my comment. I, I do repent for that. It didn't come out right. And anybody that heard me, I ask for forgiveness for that. Lord, sin is destroying our culture. And more than that, the culture is going to go away anyway. Lord, it's destroying lives. Lord, I just pray there's anybody under the sound of my voice that needs to be saved this morning, needs to be born again, that's a prodigal, that they would just make that commitment today. Lord, they would step out of their seat and surrender their life. And all of us that are Christians, God, help us not to make excuses for things in our lives, but help us to turn away from them if they're not pleasing to you. Help us to repent. And Lord, all of us may have some decisions to make today. Maybe we're in a situation that we need to rectify. We need to do something about it. And that would please you. As we open this altar, Lord, we pray for anybody under the sound of my voice that needs to get their business straight with you, that they would do that today as we worship.